Somebody had a question? Yeah. The fall of Eleusis. Well, as you all probably know, Eleusis was a cult site near Athens uh, on a plain. There's now a big lumber yard uh, there the last time I was there. But anyway, uh, it was this plain, a very fertile plain outside of ancient Athens, and uh, they celebrated the greatest of the Greek mysteries there. They celebrated, uh, it was a, a biennial, or I mean a twice yearly festival. In the spring, they would celebrate uh, uh, the lesser mystery. And this seemed to be a fairly local get-together of some sort and probably a planting festival. But every September for 2,000 years, people from all over the Greco-Roman world would come for the festival at Eleusis. And the rule was, it, first of all, it was open to everyone. Men, women, free man, slave, everyone could attend. The rule was you could only attend once in your life. And so you had one shot at whatever this thing was, and you were sworn to silence. And literally everyone who was anyone went to Eleusis to experience the mysteries. I mean, Herodotus, Thucydides, Plato, Aeschylus, Euripides, um, everybody. Uh, w people would make journeys of thousands of miles. It was the wellspring of Greek spirituality. The problem is we can't, we don't know with certainty what the excitement was all about. I mean, we know that there was an inner cult area called the Telesterion and that people would, that something was drunk and that something was seen. And in the 19th century, they just went nuts on this subject. I talk about it in my book. And they finally, all these uh, constipated Victorian classicists decided that the mystery of Eleusis must be a representation of uh, the female genitals illuminated at the height of this ceremony by a laser light show of some sort. And so, you know, it was just absurd. I mean, it was a, a complete distillation of the Victorian mind being projected. I mean, you'd like to believe that the roots of Western civilization are deeper than a peep show. But, hey, who knows? Uh, there was a very interesting incident in, it's called uh, the Scandal of 415, which is that in 415 BC, a wealthy Athenian noble named Alcibiades uh, was busted for the charge was possessing the Eleusinian mystery and distributing it to guests at dinner. 
Well, this seems to make it fairly clear that this was not a clay representation of anybody's genitals. Uh, This was some kind of dope of some sort. So then the scholars whip out their knives and and all kinds of theories have been brought forward. Uh, Some of you may know the the, um, scholar Robert Graves discusses this in The White Goddess. And his theory, which I think deserves to be more more looked at than it has, his theory was that um, these recipes, people drank something from a special cup called a kekekion, and uh, recipes supposedly exist for what they drank, and it's honey, barley, something else, and always water. And, and uh, uh, Graves argued that you don't, that water is not something that you list as an ingredient of something you drink. Obviously, it has water in it. So he said the inclusion of water in this list is in order that there can be an augum do you know what an augum is? I, I'm, you will when I tell you, because you've all seen them. An augum is when you make a list of things in such a way that the first letters spell out a word. You grok that? So the idea was that in Demotic Greek, the words for barley, honey, water, and this fourth ingredient that I can't remember, those four words can be arranged to spell out the word miko, which means mushroom. So Robert Graves was convinced that a psilocybin mushroom lay behind the Eleusinian mysteries. This is a pretty good, uh, this is uh, not entirely unreasonable. Now, a few years ago, there was a book written by uh, the great, mushroom enthusiast and discoverer Gordon Wasson and the chemist who discovered LSD, Albert Hoffman, and the classicist uh, Ruck, the three of them, and Jonathan Ott, I think, was also in there, wrote a book called uh, Persephone's Quest. Not Persephone's Quest, that's a different book. The Road to Eleusis. Good watch me, Uh, the road to Eleusis, and they put forth there a new theory, which was that uh, on the plain of Eleusis they grew uh, barley. And and, uh, these people thought that there may have been a, a special strain of claviceps. Do you all know what claviceps is? Do you all know what ergot is? Ergot is a smut. A smut is a disgusting disease, a fungal disease of grain. Have you ever been in a cornfield and seen an ear of corn that looks like it's covered with some black, slimy, horrible stuff that's flowing out of it and all over it? It's absolutely disgusting. Although, God, 
in California, I don't know if this is hit here yet, but in California for the past year, the hippest thing that you can be served at pretentious art openings and stuff like that is corn smut, which they spread on crackers. And it's just horrible. And it's really expensive. I mean, it's more expensive than caviar, and it's just become a craze. And I wouldn't get near it. I mean, it's not only disgusting to look at, but the chemistry of it is so weird. God alone, I mean, hives would be the least of your problems. Anyway, so corn smut, and there are rye smuts, and there are wheat smuts. But interestingly, the the rye smut, which is ergot, is an uh, an organism called Claviceps paspali, produces LSD-like alkaloids. And uh, the problem is that um, LSD, ergot-related alkaloids, also uh, very tend to cause convulsions, or they can cause convulsions. If any of you suffer from migraine headaches, now there are a lot of different drugs for migraine. But up until just four or five years ago, the drug of choice for migraine was called ET, ergonomine tartrate. Ergonomine tartrate, if you've got a kilo of it, you can settle down and make several million hits of LSD. Ergonomine tartrate is this very rigidly controlled underground substance that is produced legally only in certain sanctioned fields in northern Pakistan. And it's produced for the world market of migraine sufferers. And you get these little tiny blue pills. I I have migraines. I used to take ergot, but I've gotten it under control. But anyway, uh, it's the drug of choice for migraine because it constricts uh, the vessel, the blood arteries going into the head. Anyway, uh, Wasson and Hoffman argued that what they were doing at Eleusis is that they were brewing an ergot beer. They were deliberately gathering barley that was infected with claviceps and they were uh, brewing an intoxicating beer. And people were having a hallucinogenic experience. Well, now this is a great area for uh, the able-bodied among us to do research because it should be possible to collect uh, claviceps and maybe even to go to Eleusis and collect claviceps there and culture it out and see if you could make an ergot beer that would actually get you hallucinogenically stoned. I'm not sure what's going on. I... Uh, ergot is a dangerous substance. Uh, I remember an anecdote once. uh, Many years ago, I knew these people who occasionally dealt illegal substances. And uh, one day, they they were moving some E.T. to somebody. And uh, they asked this guy there if he would take this ounce of E.T. and deliver it to this certain address. And they, when they gave it to him, they said, now, this is E.T., you know, so just leave it alone. And he got out in the car and he looked, he opened up the baggie and it was this white powder and he said, you know, 
Japanese people can't fool me. So he honked up a little of it. And then he went on his appointed rounds and, and the guy who was supposed to have the stuff delivered, um, he was sitting in his house and he heard this commotion on his front porch and opened the door to find this guy flopping around with his legs and feet in the air having uh, uh, convulsive seizures because of the E.T. he'd snorted up. It's just one more story about the dangers of white powder drugs, folks. Uh, Anyway, uh, it's important for the argument because... um, I don't see how they could have been serving several thousand people ergotized beer every September for 2,000 years and not had the Eleusinian Mysteries get a certain reputation for risk, you know, that people would have convulsions and conceivably even die of heart attacks. I mean, how could they get that many people loaded year in and year out and not get a bad rap on it? And then I I talked to Albert Hoffman about this, and he didn't seem to feel that it was such a problem. He said that what you could do is uh, float hot oil on the surface of this beer, and you could draw off the convulsive alkaloids would have an affinity for the hot oil, and then you could just skim this oil off and discard it, and you would leave the hallucinogenic material in the beer. Well, I haven't tried this. Uh, Like I say, it's for the able-bodied. But in any case, this was the last outpost in the West of of, uh, psychedelic mystery. And eventually, those enthusiastic Christian barbarians appeared on the scene. In this case, it was Alaric the Visigoth, a great guy to take to an art museum. And, uh, you know, they, they smashed it all to pieces. Alaric the Visigoth was kick-ass. People don't realize that these barbarian invasions of the late Roman Empire the Vandals took over a huge swath of North Africa. They didn't just stop at the bottom of the boot of Italy or on the Peloponnesian Peninsula. These guys just kept rolling. And huge parts of Africa were under the control of Visigoths and and, uh, Vandals. North Africa, Carthaginian coast of the Mediterranean. And that killed, that was the end of the Illicinian mysteries. but it shows how late this mystical psychedelic impulse uh, persisted in Western civilization. 